Much of what we've been able to achieve through the Candid Frame has been a result of your kindness and support. You have been a regular listener, and you've helped to spread the word. And it was through your generous contributions that we were able to create the Candid Frame app and make it available to everyone for free. You can continue to support the work we do here by contributing as little as $2 a month to our Patreon campaign. You not only help to meet our costs of production, but provide us the means to improve the quality of the show and do so much more. Contribute today by visiting patreon.com forward slash the candid frame. This is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame. I think that one of the greater challenges faced by any photographer, whether amateur or professional, is photographing one's own family. Though we spend more time with them than any other people we may photograph, our families can often be our most difficult subject, especially if we're talking about teenagers. But actually, the challenge lies more in our ability to create something beautiful and moving from the most ordinary of moments. Can we see our own lives through the camera's viewfinder and create photographs that resonate in the minds and hearts of people who don't even know us? That's the challenge that Chuck Anarino faces as he documents the lives of his family, particularly his young boys. Though he works with kids in his role in education, it is his private explorations with the camera that have allowed him to capture moments that are both beautiful and universal, and who demonstrates that one needn't earn a living as a photographer to be able to produce images that matter. All right, well, Chuck, welcome to The Candid Frame. It's a pleasure to have you. Pleasure to be here, for sure. Thanks for reaching out. Um, your work is really, really cool. I really enjoy uh, the photographs. It's, it's fascinating because your story is so similar to so many people that are out there in terms of when they decided to pick up a camera. And largely it revolved around your growing family. But it's really interesting to see how, how, how where you've taken it in terms of not only how you photograph your family, but uh, you know the opportunities it's created for you. So why don't we start there? Talk about the returning to the camera after, you know, maybe some youthful, youthful exploration when you were a little more when you were older. Yeah. So, um, I, you know, I didn't have any youthful exploration with the camera. Um, I, I kind of in hindsight wish that I did. I uh, grew up in a very working class neighborhood in Philadelphia very uh, working class upbringing, not too many luxuries, not a lot of art. So I did not have much experience uh, with art in general, let alone a a camera. The only experience I really had was my father, who was a construction worker, often used his camera uh, around and took photos of us growing up. Uh, So I guess, you know, we we as children repeat what our parents do on some level. So uh, I guess subconsciously, maybe that was part of it. But uh, I never really uh, had a basis for the arts, let alone photography. You know, I, I was sort of thrust into the photography world. It was it was by choice, uh, but part of it was I wanted to really document, uh, do the same thing my father had done for, for my family growing up that I wanted to do for my growing family. So that was the impetus. 
And it, it, it's been such a great ride. I, I guess the first time I picked up a camera seriously was around, you know, 27 years old. So right around 13 years ago, I just turned 40 this year. You know, like you said, it's a pretty common theme. Most people pick up the camera to, to maybe start documenting their family as it grows. And I can definitely say it was the one thing in my life that has really stuck. You know, find myself jumping from hobby to hobby quite a bit in life, uh, whether it be, uh, you know, biking or uh, trying to think of some of the other hobbies I had in life. But none of them really stuck for me. Uh, photography absolutely stuck. It's something that I do almost every day and have done almost every day. Uh, in some capacity over the past 14 years or so. Great point. So why exactly do you think that you stuck to photography? Because I've experienced the very same thing. You know, I get a bug up my butt about something and I'm investing <laughs> all this money into yeah. cycling, right? Yes. Buy yeah. all the gear. Yeah. And then yeah. six months later, all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, I do own a bike, don't I? Exactly. It's like a fancy drying rack in, in, in the corner, right? Um, so, yeah, uh, you know, it's, it's an interesting question. I don't know if it's if it's one that I've uh, given a whole lot of thought to, but I, I feel like maybe the older that I get, the more I realize how fleeting it all is, how fleeting all, all of this is, and especially with children, you see just how fast it goes. Part of it is I, I think I just want to preserve these little moments that exist that no one would really ever remember. And I, I want, I want to freeze it. I know it sounds sappy and sentimental and all that, but that I think that's the reality behind what drives me to, to sort of do it. And, and I do, I guess that's maybe, an unselfish level, but on a selfish level, it, it, I do enjoy the process of making sense of a scene, you know, making a scene that's very fleeting uh, and freezing it and making it something that's readable to other people, uh, to, to communicate to other people. So I, I do definitely get a, a charge out of that. I get a kick out of doing that. Uh, it, it fuels me in that regard that I can take something that's common. I mean, if we, if, if any, for anyone who has children, I think the scenes of my photographs are fairly common scenes that we all probably experience. But I, so I do like being able to take scenes that everyone has sort of experienced or at least seen and make them into at least what people have told me interesting photographs. Yeah, I think that's what distinguishes the work that you're doing is, and I think everyone who has a family who picks up a camera wants to document those those special moments. And then so much of the photography revolves around a special event, right? yes. a birthday party, a, a wedding, you know, the first steps. Yep. But as you just said, you're photographing moments that everyone experiences, but many, many people don't necessarily think to pick up a camera to document it. So how did you become aware that those more ordinary moments could be such great material for, for photographs? Well, I think it happened organically. I started just, as you said, you know, uh, we're going to shoot the first birthday. We're going to take the first steps, all, all these monumental moments at the time. And as a, as a new parent and new photographer, you, you thought that the, that those moments were what parenting or being a father was all about is being there for these huge moments. But I guess as I grew as a parent and as my photography 
uh, as my skills with the camera grew a little bit and my vision had, has changed a little bit, uh, I started to realize that it's not necessarily the big moments. It's, you know, the random Tuesday night when, you know, your child is doing something that's very common and, you know, being there for those moments is really more what parenting is. So, you know, if you think about parenting in general, there, it's, there's very few big moments. It's almost all these mundane, almost drudgery type moments that uh, we're there for. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a privilege to, to be there for. It's a privilege to be able to be a part of, of all of that. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that I, I guess it, it leads to, to something that I thought about recently. I was sort of visionless for about four years. I just took a whole bunch of really bad photos for, for a while. And uh, it wasn't until about 2008 uh, I took what I would consider to be like my first good photograph. It took four years to make one good photograph um, in, in my eyes. And um, it's just a moment of my, uh, he's now turning 13, uh, but he's, he was like about three at the time. And it was a moment between my son and my wife. He was really, really hesitant to get into a pool. And I was sort of, um, I, sh- I was shooting it from down low and I, I looked and saw a balcony above and I, I went up on the balcony and I, I took a photo that I, I really enjoy. It's, it, I, I, it's one of the few, I shot it on film in 2008 and, and I have it wet printed and I had it wet printed and mounted and framed uh, and, and matted. And it's, it's probably the most important photograph that I've taken. It's, it's definitely uh, still probably my favorite because it, it did show me that this little moment, it, it shows my wife with her hands outstretched and my little three-year-old, he was my firstborn, you know, really hesitant uh, trying to get into the pool. And, it, you know, that was definitely a landmark photo for me. It gave me direction, uh, that photo uh, gave me sort of direction on where I wanted to go with, with my photography. Uh, so, yeah, it was, it was a mundane moment. It's something that, you know, again, as any parent, experience they were with their child the first time in the pool and you know there was definitely some trepidation and um we got through it you know so and, and i have that that moment so it's it's pretty cool that's uh definitely something that that i cherish being there for the mundane so what is it about that photograph and subsequent photographs that you've made that's captured that wasn't captured in the images that you're capturing up to that moment? Yeah, so that's a good question. And um, part of it, you know, I think you based on the very little bit that you just talked about, um, you know, when you get into cycling, you go and you buy the gear. Well, I was no different with photography. You know, I, I, I got in, I had a, a digital Rebel that my wife bought for me with the, very, the cheap kit lens. It was the 18 to 55 millimeter. But of course... I slowly bought some lenses and by 2008, I fell into, I fell in love with Leica. I bought a film Leica. And so part of it, part of the reason why is here I have this sort of classic camera. It was an M6 and with Tri-X. So here I am, you know, using this, this equipment that, that the greats have used. And here I am taking a photo and, and I'm getting exactly what I want out of the frame. I, I, almost remember taking the photo and I, I remember, you know, obviously it was filmed. So I, I remember just clicking the shutter and I, I still have the contact sheet of it. And there's only about maybe three or four pictures of, of that three or four variations. And I, I remember sort of being really excited about that, that image when I took it, like, yes, this is, this is what I want. Um, so it, I guess to answer your question, 
I had purpose, you know, up until that point, you know, I, I was just sort of taking snapshots of, of whatever was happening around me and, and, you know, just really focusing on trying to get it in focus and, you know, worrying about the technical aspects and, and not really having much of a, a broad vision on, on where I wanted to go. And I, I, I think that's definitely the first photo that, that, that pushed me in that direction is, I guess the difference is really just having a purpose behind my, my images. Yeah. I think for, for me, when I observe your photographs and it's, it's about the fact that there's oftentimes an engagement that's happening in that moment. Sometimes it's just a picture of one of your sons by himself studying or other times there's some interactions between the brothers or with someone else or some other kids but there's there's a there's a presence that exists within the frame that I think is often missing from photographs when people are just simply documenting their families because there's the one thing where people are sort of really aware of the camera and so they sort of pose and give the face but even when people are trying to create more candid images it seems like there's the photographer is not really trying to say anything in the photograph mm-hmm. and and I'm wondering you know, in terms of you being able to be aware of that that narrative within that frame, that story within that frame, as opposed to just creating a well-composed, pleasing, singular photograph, there's a, there's a big leap between those two. And I'm wondering, when did that start coming into play? Yeah, you know, it's really awesome that you recognize that. One of my really good friends, and uh, he's taught me more about photography than pretty much anyone else had sort of helped me hone my vision. And it, it stems on basically what you just said. I guess I, I do. He said the same thing in that I, and I appreciate that compliment. I take it as a compliment that uh, almost like I have a sense that this is all happening, that there is a connection happening here in front of me. Uh, and, and that, I don't know that I realized it before my friend helped me identify that. And since he has said that, I, I tend to agree. And I almost look for that. It goes back to what we said earlier. It's, it's almost like it's fleeting. And, and I recognize that it's fleeting and that it's that the moment is, is special. And it, it doesn't have to be special to anyone else's viewing the image. It's special to me. And, and I hope that that comes. Well, I shouldn't say I hope it comes across. If it comes across to someone else who's never met me or my sons, I'm very flattered because that, that tells me that I've sort of conveyed what I was seeing or what I was feeling mm-hmm. when the scene was happening. So, uh, I, you know, I feel like I, I do have, I do, I am able to recognize that what's happening before my lens is, is special and fleeting. And, and I, I try to pour that into my, my photographs, almost like I'm trying to take an instantly nostalgic photo, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and my, my friend said, it's almost like there's a, a touch of melancholy in some of my photos, like almost like I know that it's gone and that I almost feel bad that it's gone, you know, the instant that the image is taken. Um, so I, you know, that was something that he had read into my work. Um, and, and I don't know, I don't, I mean, I guess others would have to be a, the judge of that, whether or not there's melancholy in, in some of the images, but, um, yeah, for sure. I'm almost like I'm trying to capture or try to create an instantly nostalgic image mm-hmm. like one of the images that you have is one of your sons in the pool and he's just floating in the back on his back oh yeah okay you know and i think that's just a lovely a lovely photograph just because of the look on his face 
you know, it just expresses so much. He is in that moment. He is in the water, feeling the water around his body you know, as he's floating in there. And it's beautifully composed, but there's, you know, you feel that moment. I'm, I'm trying to come up with another word <laughs> other than... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I think, you know, when you see the picture, you, you feel it. And I think that's that's part part and parcel about capturing a moment is that there's a mo- and, and it has some emotional resonance, and that is really sort of an elusive thing to try and capture, because I think, I and mean, pers- speaking personally for myself is 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 there's a there's a moment when you're trying to compose a photograph and it's all about composition. You know that the placement of the subject is going to be really critical for how well it reads, what's in front of the subject, and you can make a shot that look that is impeccably composed. Right? Mm-hmm. Everything yeah. is right in its proper place, but it's still missing something. But when you succeed in capturing that that moment, for lack of a better word, the bones upon which the image is, is composed is is basically the, the sets the stage for that moment, which is sometimes hard to describe, but when you see it, you know it. Does that yeah, make sense? Uh, it makes total sense. And um, it I struggle with that as well. I struggle with trying to identify that in my own work because, you know, we're, we're witnesses for our work. We know what we were trying to do, but that doesn't mean that you did it, right? Like we, we know that we tried to make an image that conveys a certain feeling or a certain emotion. Just because we tried to do it doesn't mean that it happened. It doesn't mean that you succeeded in conveying it. So, you know, I, I appreciate you saying that uh, about that shot because it was something, you know, he, it looks so peaceful to me. And, you know, at what other time in our lives do we do that as people? Like float on the back aimlessly, you know, in a pool when nothing else exists. It's quiet. It's peaceful. It's this little moment. Mm-hmm. And he was only on his back for maybe, you know, 10 seconds. He my, my that. Uh, he's my middle son. He's a swimmer. He loves the water. So he's oftentimes in, in a pool. Uh, so he, he was very peaceful. And, and uh, to, I felt like I captured that. But to hear someone uh, say that to me, it, it means a lot to me. So I'm really flattered that, that you picked up on that. And uh, But like you said, it's hard. It's hard to know whether or not you nailed it or not. You think you did, yeah. um, but you're not sure. You know, it's difficult. You know, it- you speak of your work uh, in terms of documentary work along the lines of, you know, photojournalism, but it's more directed towards your, your family. Were you already starting to produce images like that before you began to understand that there was sort of a legacy of this sort of style of work? Or did learning about it start informing how you shot? Uh, definitely the latter. Uh, when I was first shooting, I would buy a, you know, an 85 millimeter you know, 1.8 and try to, I was taking a lot of portraits early on and I thought they were good photos. And it was actually my wife who is a good critic, a hard critic. And I, I say that in a good way, you know, who helped me say, Hey, like you have a lot of the same photo. You have a lot of, you know, blurred out backgrounds mm-hmm. and, you know, and that's the direction that I was, I was taking. Um, and it, it took me, so uh, I'm a teacher. I was a history teacher and, Part, I, I like to understand where things come from. So, you know, in, along with learning the technical side of photography, I did look into the history of photography and I was really drawn to uh, documentary work. The, the first book that the most influential book, it was right around the time I took uh, the image of my son and my wife in the pool, uh, was Annie Leibovitz's 
a photographer's life. Now, you know, Annie Leibovitz is so known for her amazing portraits. Uh, but, you know, when you look back at her Rolling Stone documentary stuff and uh, her family stuff, I was just really blown away by the rawness of it. It, it was so raw and she did such an amazing job. It was almost like um, you could see her vulnerability almost uh, in her images, especially with her relationship uh, with Susan, you know, and, and go with her cancer and everything. And that really struck me like, wow, here, here she's showing it all. And I don't know that I'm that vulnerable with my photography, but um, I, I definitely, it, you know, a combination of taking the image of my son and my wife and, and starting to study documentary photography definitely pushed me in that direction. So uh, definitely studying documentary photography really uh, is something that I, I enjoy doing. Uh, so it, it, I definitely tried to apply what some of the greats were doing to my own world. Hmm. So definitely the latter, which is um, I was not shooting in that way until I sort of saw the pros and, and, and the, the, the true greats doing it. And, you know, when you started seeing it and you started applying it, what were some of the struggles that you found trying to emulate the kind of work that you were seeing in others? It's really hard. <laughs> like I could go in a backyard and, uh, you know, take an 85 millimeter and make a nice photo in two seconds. Um, I would go months or, or, you know, a year. Like I said, it took me four years to make my first good image, I think. Um, but it, man, it, it, it is, it is damn hard to, so you have this world around you in perpetual motion and you know, you're, you're in it and there's these, all these elements whirling about and it's your job to find <laughs> You know, it's almost overwhelming when you think about it. It's your job to sit there and find good light and a good composition and then time it correctly. It, it was really, really hard to make images that I was happy with, you know, because of, of everything just being in perpetual motion. So I remember that. I mean, I still feel that way. I, I think it's incredibly hard. In fact, I think that even after, you know, 13, 14 years with the camera, I'd argue that it's harder for me now to make an image that I'm really happy with uh, in a documentary style. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it's really difficult. It's a really difficult genre to, to I think, do well. So how do you sort of ensure your chances of being able to pull off those kinds of shots effectively? Because, you know, you've... We'll take. We'll assume that you know you've got good control of your camera. You've got the equipment that you need in order to capture it. You know what is sort of the, the, the kind of scenario that you ideally would like to have that helps you increase the chances that you'll you'll succeed. So definitely slowing down uh, and understanding that I'm not a videographer and I can't capture every moment. So I I've, I've really honed my shooting process, like you said, to increase my chances of walking away with something decent. And, you know, I, I really sort of try to do three things when I'm out and about. I uh, stopped really shooting with shallow depth of field. Uh, you know, it's a taste, of course, if I'm going to take a portrait or something like that, I'll, I'll you know, open my lens up. Uh, but a lot of times when I'm shoot, shooting documentary is the first thing I'll do is I'll stop down so I'll stop my lens down to something like F8, 
or F11. Uh, so, you know, I'm going to get a lot of things in focus, uh, have a lot of context in the image that, that's going to help tell a story. So I'll stop down. Um, I will uh, slow down, which is, you know, just sort of looking at the entire scene, recognizing where light's coming from, seeing where the action of the photo is, looking for possible layers. So, you know, I'll stop down the lens, I'll slow down and, and looking at all my surroundings uh, and, and, you know, sort of setting up a composition of sorts and then just sort of waiting. So I have, you know, my lens, the technical aspects set up, you know, I have proper depth of field. I have my shutter speed where I want it to be. Uh, so that's taken care of. I have to, now I can forget about the technicals and I'm going to slow down, you know, so I have my composition now all set up. Uh, and then I'm going to sit down. I'm just going to sit on that composition and, and wait for action to happen. It, it just becomes now I've sort of stripped everything down to timing. Hmm. So all I, ha I have everything composed and, and these elements are the, you know, we talked a little bit earlier, the elements around you are sort of overwhelming almost, but, but they're not anymore because I'm not chasing any more action. I'm sitting down and now I just have to wait for it to all come together and just, just time, time the time the subjects in, in the scene. So that's that definitely helps me. That process helps me walk away with more keepers than not. Yeah, I, that's the same approach that I take when I'm shooting on the street and I'm, shoot, I'm yep. photographing perfect strangers. It's it's completely analogous to that about you know being confident enough that things will play out in front of you, and if you're prepared for the moment, you'll be able to capture it or hopefully capture it. Yeah. And, you know, for, for me, I'm my own client when it comes to my family work. So if I don't get a shot, like that, that's okay. <laughs> you know, I, I, I what, at the worst, I watched my sons enjoy life, you know, like, so it's, it's, and it, at best I get a picture that I, you know, enjoy that I want to process and that I will print, you know, that's, uh, that's best case scenario. So it's, it's almost like a win-win, um, in that regard. So same, same thing with you with street, you know, I uh, don't know if you're getting commissioned for your street work. It's, it's, it's darn good. Uh, so, you know, if you get a great street shot, cool. If not, you spent the afternoon outdoors. It's a pretty, pretty good, uh, pretty good scenario for you. And uh, to my thinking, you photographing your family in the way that you do is even more challenging than having to photograph for a paid client. Right. Cause the reality is, is you're, you, this isn't your full-time gig. As you mentioned, you, you've worked in edu education. So when you're out there um, photographing your kids, you, you're you also playing the role of parent. You're also playing the role of husband. You're playing the role of caretaker. There's all these all these these things that can pull you in different directions that have nothing to do with the camera. And so it's like, you know, which hat are you going to wear at any given moment? And I feel like sometimes that can um, almost inevitably create situations where you don't end up making the photograph. And I think it's one of the reasons why so many people don't approach photograph photographing their own families in this particular way, because it really takes uh, a commitment to, to seeing and photographing in that way. Because as you said, there's a lot of uh, intense attention that you have to give to a scene, to a moment, to people as they're playing out in front of you. And uh, it's not easily afforded when you're playing all these other different roles simultaneously. Uh, I would agree. And I would be um, lying if I said that my wife 
was always thrilled that I was taking <laughs> photos. Uh, she is, is, has not been always happy when I am in the zone trying to get an image. It's almost like put the damn camera down and help me get the kid rather than take a photo of him crying. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. and, and she's not wrong, you know, but, it, but uh, it's definitely a challenge and a reality for being, you know, the parent photographer. She, you know, she's, she's right, <laughs> as, as my wife usually is. Um, so, yeah, for sure, I, I think that that can be a challenge. Well, tell me about photographing your children in those more vulnerable moments, because, of course, you know, they're your photographs, so you're not necessarily going to be posting them on, on a Tumblr site or Flickr or Instagram, anything like that. But still, you know, um, you're aware of their vulnerability in, in such moments. And tell us about, you know, the choice to photograph them under, the, under, under those kind of circumstances. Yeah. Um, so my, my kids are getting older now. They, they grew up with the camera around all the time. I, I, that's one tip I would give anyone who is starting to photograph their own family. I get that question a lot. How, you know, don't, don't your kids say, put the camera down, dad. Well, it's, it's my kid's norm. It's my children's norm. The camera has always been out and about. It's, you know, my camera right now is up in my living room on a, on where the TV is. So it's, it's just out. I think that's, that's part of it. My kids grew up, but now that they're a little bit older, um, I, I don't, they're still rude. They don't say anything about it, but I think that they are more aware of maybe sensitive moments that, that are happening. And, and I sort of take my cue from them. You know, I, I don't want photography to become something that they don't like, or they don't appreciate, mm-hmm. you know, so, so I, I do take cues from them now. Um, And and I will say, you know, look, there's this movement in the photography world where there's, it's called family documentary where, you know, they're applying, doing what what I do. They're they're applying similar concepts of documentary photographers to their families, but I'm not really a documentary photographer, right? Like I'm not uh, on assignment. So I'm I'm not going to, you know, take a photo that's maybe, that my child's going to be upset that I'm taking, you know, I'm going to respect my subject's wishes. Uh, whereas if you're on the, you're on an assignment, you're a photojournalist and it's your job to come away with that image. You know, this isn't my job. I do this cause I love it and I want to continue to love it. And I want my kids to, to like being a part of it too. So I, I try to respect them and take their cues as best I can. Yeah. The, the images that I've seen are all primarily black and white and, I'm wondering why that aesthetic choice. So growing up, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I didn't have much art around me. I was very much into athletics. And I think every year I would get a Sports Illustrated subscription. And in the back of Sports Illustrated, there was usually a classic image. Um, So there's, you know, the classic Willie Mays catch, the -the over-the-shoulder catch was one that I remember. And it was black and white. I remember being drawn to that. So when I first picked up a camera, I would convert everything to black and white. And uh, I look back and they're just so bad. I mean, I had no clue what I was doing. So, uh, but I, I, I like the black and white aesthetic and that has sort of stuck. I was converting so many of my images to black and white. And I really went, you know, head first into trying to create really good black and white conversions with my digital files. And, uh, recently, over the past two years, I've I really committed to the, this concept of black and white. And I'm like one of the few idiots that paid an insane amount of money for a digital camera 
that shoots all black and white. Uh, <laughs> I, I purchased, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm one of the, the people you, you wouldn't like a announced a like a monochrome. Most 99 out of 100 people shook their heads and said, what is like a thinking? I'm the one idiot that goes, Hey, that's really cool. I want to, I want to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, uh, really committed to this idea of black and white with the purchase of the Leica monochrome. And I have to be honest, it's been the best purchase I've made gear wise in, in anything I've done. Um, I'm, you know, admittedly a fanboy uh, of Leica products, but um, I think that, you know, it has really helped me hone in on, on who I am as a photographer and where I want to go as a photographer. It, it's, it sounds silly to say, and, I uh, definitely drank the like a Kool Aid, but um, there is truth. There is truth. To, at least for me, there's truth to it. So um, you know, I, part of the reason why most of my work is black and white now is because I don't have that option. I shoot it with a black and white uh, sensor camera. So uh, I'm I'm fully fully committed to that. And and I think that that limitation. I, I think I read somewhere before that uh, freedom, ultimate freedom, is the limitation of choice. And I think there's some truth to that where uh, limit, limiting my choices as a photographer really helps me narrow the almost paralyzing options that exist out there as a photographer. Mm. Yeah, because I know that uh, I, I work a lot simpler than I did 15 years ago. Absolutely. You know, and then that not having to think about all my different choices allows me to focus on what's really important, the moment that's happening right in front of me. So I completely understand the choice to work in the way that you do. Yeah, and it almost, you know, when you asked about the process and how I uh, try to come away with, you know, more documentary images that I'm happy with, uh, I think the Leica really lends itself to that style of shooting to where I have the aperture set to where I want, I pre-focus the scene. So I don't even really have to worry about the speed of an autofocus system or missing autofocus. It, it just simply comes down to two things, composition and timing. Hmm. And you know, that, that the, the Leica really helps me do that. It's not always the best tool. Like if I'm going to shoot a wedding, uh, I have DSLRs for that. And if I'm going to shoot my son's little league baseball game, I have a telephoto lens for that. But for my day to day stuff, um, it's, it's definitely the favorite tool that I've found that helps me get to where I want to be as a photographer. The tonality of your, of your pictures is just amazing. Um, and I'm wondering how much of that is what the camera gives you and how much of it is what you do to it in post. So I, I and that's another question uh, that, that people have asked me before, you know, the, the Leica monochrome, it, it's, I guess it would be like any other raw file from any other cameras. It's, it's a DNG file and it, it comes out kind of flat. It's, uh, you know, a lot of great tones, a lot of tones all the way from, you know, whites to, to blacks and everything in between. So it, it definitely takes some post-processing. And that's something that I've worked really hard at over the course of, you know, the past 13 years. I've tried just about everything. And what I'm using now, um, I've developed some presets that myself uh, through Silver Effects Pro, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, I love. And Nick it's a shame. I, I think it's discontinued or uh, they sold out to Google or whatever it is. And it's just such a great black and white conversion engine uh, with natural grain patterns. Uh, and I really, I really like the aesthetic of it. And I've been able to develop about four or five different presets that I use 
depending on lighting scenes and, and uh, different circumstances. And that they've been my go-to, and it works really well with the Leica files. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I love Nick. And they actually were purchased from Google by another company. I think it's a French company that produces uh, um, software for photography. So they are going to be oh, continuing great. it. Uh, it's not going to be free anymore, but uh, it's going to be continuing, which is, I think, a good thing. Absolutely. I, I would gladly pay for what I, I use it so often. Every image that I uh, process is, is run through Nick. Yeah. I make some, you know, uh, basic exposure adjustments in Photoshop. I'm sorry, not in, in uh, Lightroom. And then I, I convert it right in SilverFX Pro to do the, the bulk of the work. Yeah. Let's talk about the issues of privacy because people in the, in this world where people are posting images everywhere on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, uh, there are there are people who are concerned with privacy, especially with respect to their children. And, you know, you share images on, on a blog, but I'm wondering in terms of what considerations you and your wife had made in terms of if and when or what kind of photographs uh, that you guys share on the web. Yeah, so I'm probably naive in a lot of ways. And I think that a lot of times I always just assume the best in, in people. And that's, again, that's probably naive. Um, so I'm probably not the, the best person to ask about that because I, I feel like the images I post, uh, I, I, I just can't see anything bad. Like I can't imagine, <laughs> which I guess is a good thing. What, what can be done uh, with the images that I, that I post. And, and that's, again, that's perhaps naive, and I certainly understand that. So, um, you know, I, I, I just, I haven't given it, maybe, and, and maybe this is good that we're having the conversation. Maybe I need to think about it on a different level uh, to protect my own children. But I, I've never given it a whole lot of thought that, you know, anything bad can happen as a result of my images. I certainly understand why others don't. I get it. Uh, but I, I feel like I just maybe assume the best in humanity mm -hmm. and, and the best in society. And I hope that, that, that something doesn't bite me in the butt thinking that way. But generally, I, I just I try to see the best in, in situations and the best in the world. You you know you've worked as a uh, as a wedding photographer. You also were uh, a sort of second uh, camera for other uh, wedding photographers. And to a lot of people's thinking, they see your work. They would see your work saying he's so good. Why is he doing this full time? And I think that a lot of people sort of aspire to sort of do that. But you sort of maintained your you know your regular career as well as producing these these images. So could we talk a little about? you know, your decision to keep it the way that it is? So th that's a great timely question because I've been in education for about 18 years and I've been shooting weddings first as a second camera since 2010. And then I did some my own work uh, for another photographer in 2012. And then I partnered with a friend of mine who's an insanely talented photographer uh, for the past two years. And, um, I, you know, I've, I've sort of reached a crossroad with the profession that I love, which is education. I, I work in high schools in Philadelphia and I, I have given more consideration to possibly shooting full time than I ever have just recently. So it, it's um, it's something that I've always considered, but I 
naturally nervous uh, about making the leap from something that uh, I, I like to do that I feel like I'm pretty good at as a teacher uh, that I've you know, received so much uh, reward back from students that I've taught and parents that I've become, you know, partners with in their child's education. It's been so rewarding. And so I'm fearful to give that up. Uh, so, you know, I guess to answer your question is I, I've always loved what I've done. I'm, I'm lucky to love to be able to love my career, which I went to college for. And I'm lucky to be able to get to shoot weddings, which I also love. So, you know, I guess in this world, we can't have it all. Mm -hmm. So uh, for a long time, I made the choice to stick with education. And that that still might be the choice. But I'm definitely have given consideration to possibly taking the leap into a full time wedding situation. Um, So, uh, yeah, a timely question. Uh, by you once again great great interviewer (laughs) Uh, must be reading my mind but uh, you know one of the things i appreciate uh about you and that i hope that other people sort of take away uh, take away from this conversation and especially having had the opportunity to look at your your photographs is that people can can realize that someone doesn't necessarily have to make that choice to become a professional and not be able to make great work because you make great work and you know it wasn't it, it wasn't incumbent on you giving up your you know your traditional nine to five in order to be able to achieve it i think a lot of people think that oh if i only had the freedom of being able to do this whole time then i could commit myself to learning what i need to learn and have the opportunities to create you know the kinds of photographs that i aspire to make and i think that uh and I hope that people take a look at your work and listen to your story and realize that, you know, that that the opportunity to become exceptional in whatever way uh, that you can be with a camera uh, is really comes down to making the choice with the circumstances that you have right now. Yes, for sure. And, and in fact, I would I would I give the advice that's sort of the opposite of what you say. I see a lot of photographers now, they they get into photography to be a business. That's, that's the, that's the foremost thing that they do is, is they buy a camera and they want to study photography so that they can turn around and make money. And I think that that's great, you know, to, to be able to, to do that. Uh, but, but I caution people a lot of times of doing that. I I feel like it should almost evolve organically. You should, and I guess this is, this is probably, uh, my naivete of what business is showing right now in this conversation. But, but I almost feel like, you know, the photography should be about the photography first, and then you can learn the business. And the business person, of course, would say, well, no, you, you should learn the business first and then worry about the photography. But uh, it's evolved for me, I think, organically, which has always felt good to me. I, I've never been forced to, to make a decision and I'm lucky, I'm lucky that, that I haven't had to make a decision because I've sort of been able to enjoy photography on my own terms. Mm-hmm. And uh, I appreciate that. So I, I'm, I'm able to sort of go in whatever direction I am. So, uh, you know, if, if you're a, a young budding photographer, you just picked up a camera, learn to love photography, L- learn to love it and, and see if it's for you before you start trying to make a, a buck off of it. And I, you know, I just feel like that's just a more organic approach and, and it's worked for me. Uh, so yeah, I, like I said, I'm, I'm lucky to, to not have to make a, to make a choice and to be able to enjoy it on my own terms. Yeah. 
You mentioned the term uh, family family documentary photography. Where can people go to find out more about what that is, what that looks like, and and if they might want to uh, you know approach their own photography in that way? So it's it's really evolved and it's really sort of exploded in recent time. In two thousand eight, when I was just sort of like uh, I guess it was sort of like Bambi on ice with a camera. I was really stumbling all over the place and there, there was not a, a lot of resources out there. You know, Facebook didn't exist in the way that it exists today with all these forums. And, um, you know, I belong to one photo forum on the internet, which was fredmiranda.com, which was instrumental in giving me a base. But uh, there, there just wasn't anything out there for, family photographer. It was almost like in a forum, if you posted photos of your kid, you weren't a real photographer. And, and I wanted to fight that. Uh, I really wanted to go against that. And I started to get not terrible at photography, uh, but there weren't any resources out there. So I actually started a resource in 2009 called the family photo journalist. And it was something that a buddy of mine and I, we, we co-authored and we did, we ran it for about two or three years and we would just sort of share tips and tricks about how to take photos of your family in a natural way. Um, but we both got really busy and we weren't smart enough to make any money off of it. So uh, it lost steam. And I just sort of kept doing my own thing. But recently, um, there's been a huge boom on uh, especially Facebook. There's multiple Facebook forums. I actually belong to, to answer your question, where can someone go? There's a great uh, forum. There's a, there's a great group on, I guess, yeah, they're called groups on Facebook now, not forums anymore, but there's a great group called Documentary Family wait, docu, Documentary Family Photographers Worldwide. So it's this, you know, Documentary Family Photographers. It's a worldwide group and there are so many talented people out there uh, taking photos of their families and it's it's really cool to be a part of and it's inspiring to, to be a part of you know, this, this group where our motivation is all sort of the same, which is taking photos of families, you know. Um, now, there are people who are doing it as a business, and I, I think that's great. Uh, I, I do not do the family documentary work. That's, that's sort of just for myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't do that for pay. Um, I've done it for a couple uh, people, but um, it's not something I advertise. Uh, but, yeah, it's a really inspiring group to be a part of. And, um, I'm, I'm lucky to, to, to be a part of it. So there's, and there's several groups. That's not the only one. There's a lot of groups out there that sort of try to do the same thing. And, um, it's neat. It's neat to see. So with the advancement of technology and the availability of so many great cameras in 2018, more, more and more people are having really good tools in their hands to make decent images. Very nice. Well, my last question, which I ask each guest, is I ask them to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore on their own. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? So it would be Magnum photographer Christopher Anderson. I longed after his book, Capitolio, uh, which was released in 2009, but it was just always so expensive and it was just sort of out of reach for me to buy uh, the essay is just, it really blows me away. It's, um, I just purchased the book. It just came actually, uh, a couple days ago and I've been through it a few times already. It's, it's just fantastic. So Christopher Anderson, 
Uh, he's done uh, other amazing work as well. Uh, but the, the book Capitolio, I, I feel like it's his finest work. It's, it's all black and white, which shouldn't surprise you uh, that I like it. But it's, it's just a, an amazing cinematic approach to uh, what was happening in Caracas, Venezuela, during a four-year stretch from 2004 to 2008. And it just really knocked me on my butt looking at it. Uh, it's just a, such a great essay. Uh, and I think he has a lot to say as a documentary photographer. So, yeah. I'm going to have to look for that book then. Yeah, it's, it, it really is fantastic. I mean, I probably have about maybe 50 different books. It's it's the it's one of the few, not I say one of the few. It's one of the ones, I think, that I rank near the top. It knocked, knocked me on my butt for sure. Capitolio is the name. Wow. Uh, you can see you, if you want to check it out. Uh, if you Google, um, this is how I first saw it: Magnum in Motion. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you type Magnum in Motion Capitolio or Christopher Anderson, you'll see like a slideshow of the images. Uh, just really raw, gritty, uh, sort of of the underbelly of Caracas, which is you know in was in such shambles uh, during that stretch. Uh, it, it's just a really powerful, it's not like there's a theme. It, it, it's almost like you're watching maybe a Tarantino movie. It's, it's really, and I find it interesting. So I, I enjoy his photography, well, Christopher cool. Anderson. And I'll have links for all of that uh, in, in the show notes for people to check out. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much, man. It was a real pleasure. I agree. I, I honored to be a part of your show. Much appreciated. Thanks to Chuck for joining us this week. Find out more about Chuck and his work by visiting growingupandreno.tumblr.com. And remember to visit the Candor Frame website for a regular column that will appear each Wednesday. I recently wrote an article on the importance of keeping a photo journal, and we've also begun featuring photographers who contribute to the Candor Frame Flickr pool. And you can show your support of the Candid Frame by writing a review in the iTunes store. As people search for podcasts to listen to, these reviews can lead people to listen to us for the first time, and that can make all the difference. So if you haven't already, please take the time to do that today. You can also support the show by making a monthly contribution through Patreon. And for as little as $2 a month, you can help us to not only meet the cost of production for the show but allow us to improve our podcast, YouTube channel, and website. Or if you just want to make a one-time contribution to the show, you can do so via PayPal. You'll find links for both on the Candor Frame website and in the show notes. Thanks to Ted Vieira and Joseph Kane for their recent contributions. We really appreciate it. To access our complete archive of interviews, download the free Candid Frame app, available for Apple iOS and Android. Not only will you immediately receive the latest episode on your phone or tablet, but you can also easily share your favorite episodes on your social networks and help spread the word. And if you just want to drop me a line with comments or suggestions for the show, you can email me directly from the app. Download it today by clicking on the link in the show notes or the website at thecandidframe.com. The Candid Frame audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. The show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker, and our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at simply at IbarianX. And this is IbarianX, and this is The Candid Frame.